It's good morning. It's great to see everyone again. Sorry about last week, but it's good to be back and uh, to be back to our Parsha class. I want to dedicate our learning this morning, as we do every week, to a refua shlema, a speedy and painless recovery for Chola Yisrael, all those who are ill. In particular, please have in mind the Rav Gavriel Pinchas Ben Devorah Zlata should have a uh, speedy and painless recovery. Okay, Parsha's Mishpatim. There is not a more packed Parsha in the Torah. Incredible laws, civil law, tort law, criminal law, ritual law. It's all in Parsha's Mishpatim. The big question about Parsha's Mishpatim is what's it doing here? Last week, we have the story of Matan Torah, Kabbalah Torah. The end of Parsha's Mishpatim we're going to study this morning returns back to the conclusion of that narrative. And the story of the giving of the Torah at Harsinai is interrupted for this litany of laws. Criminal, tort, civil laws. Why here? Why interrupt the whole story? We have the story of Hashem's divine revelation, the greatest revelation of all time. The people recoiled. Moshe had to take over and communicate. We have the whole story of Matan Torah. And then you go to the end of our parsha. And you return to the story of Matan Torah. How can I prove it to you? One of the most famous two words of Harsinai of Matan Torah. Every little kid knows. What did the Jews respond when God offered the Torah? Nasa Vinishma. It ever occurred to you? Where was Nasa Vinishma last week? Parshas Yisro is when the Torah is given. Aseris Adibros, Matan Torah, Kabbalah Torah. Where does it say Nasa Vinishma? At the end of this week's Parsha. What happened? The answer is, the end of this week's parsha is the conclusion of the story, is the end of the narrative. The narrative is interrupted with all of parsha's mishpatim. It's interrupted by giving us all of these laws. And the question is why? What are they doing here? Tell us later. You're reviewing, you're delivering, you're giving all of halacha. Tell us later. Why interrupt the most seminal story in all of human history? The story of the giving of the Torah. This is not what I want to study today. I want to get into the end of the Parsha. But I think you have to address this question to understand the Parsha as a whole. You could understand it with the letter Vav. The Parsha begins, Ve'ela HaMishpatim. Why Ve'ela HaMishpatim? Why not Ela HaMishpatim? These are the laws. These are the statutes. Why the Vav? Where is we? Page 416 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Ve'ela. Says Rashi, Whenever you say these, you are rejecting that which came earlier. But if you say and these, then you're not coming to negate or cancel or reject what came earlier. You're coming to expand upon it. You're coming to add to it. Rashi quotes famously the Mechilta, just as the Rishonim, the earlier laws, just as last week's Parsha was Harsinai, so too this. And why do we have the story of the Dinim of Tort Law to the story of the Mizbeach, the laws of the altar, to tell us where should the Sanhedrin sit? Sanhedrin sit, not in a separate building, not in a different location. We have different branches of government in Judaism. We have the legislative branch of Sanhedrin, judicial branch of Sanhedrin. We have the ritual, the religious branch of the Kohen Gadol, the Kohanim, and so on. But where do they sit? In the same building. Where is the Sanhedrin? Next to the Mizbeach, in the Beis HaMikdash itself. What is Rashi getting at? The Ve'ela. What is Rashi getting at? So to me it's clear. It's clear, it's sadly not so clear to many in this generation. But it's clear. Don't think that religious experience is at Harsinai. Don't think that in Judaism, the peak of religiosity, of righteousness, is revelation at Harsinai. You know where righteousness is expressed? You know where righteousness is achieved? Not when you're standing in shul with the sitter open and the talus over your head and shuckling. Where righteousness is achieved not at the base of a mountain when God is speaking directly to you and you're experiencing revelation. You know where righteousness is achieved? When you go to work and you have honest weights and measures. When you're in a community and you're looking out for the widow and the orphan. 
when you are filling out your tax returns and you fill them out with integrity, when you are sitting around your coffee clutch schmoozing, do you share Lashon Hara and gossip? It is the laws when you see the poor person, when you see the, the person's donkey about to collapse under the weight on its back, when you see the person who needs help and assistance. Mishpatim is inserted in the middle of the Matan Torah story, it seems to me from this Rashi to say that don't think in Judaism that righteousness don't think that virtue, don't think that spirituality, don't think that being a tzaddik or a tzaddikus is defined by how hard you shuckle or how long your Shemona Esrei is or what it's like at Harsinai. What it's like when you're in shul. It's when you leave shul. It's when you go to the marketplace. When you go to your exercise class. When you go to meet somebody at Starbucks for coffee. When you... Only the kiosk we heard Sunday. <laughs> Which Starbucks? Yeah, the, the OU seminar. I shouldn't say Starbucks. When you meet someone for coffee, that's where righteousness. Just as the first Rami Sinai, where is Sinai expressed and achieved and accomplished? In the attitude of integrity and honesty and kindness and sensitivity and thoughtfulness, which is what all of Mishpatim is about. Criminal law, tort law, civil law. It's the attitude that we bring the attitude we bring there. That's one answer. I just want to share briefly with you because I want to get to the psukim we're going to study. Salaam Marebbe, the Nesiva Shalom, has a different answer, which I think is very interesting. He outlines the question. He says, uh, We begin Matan Torah, last week's parsha in the third month after they left Egypt. We had all the preparation, the anticipation of the giving of the Torah, of the Tereseris Adibros. And then we return to the end of the story at the end of our parsha. And he quotes Rashi and so on. Says the Slana Marebi, it's worth explaining, exploring. Why do you interrupt the story? Our question. We're going to see this later. A big machlok is Rashi between the Ramban, Ibn Ezra, Ashbam, whether the end of our parsha really finds itself there chronologically or came earlier. We will we'll see that in a moment. But says the Son of Rebbe, all the more so, if chronologically it didn't happen this way, why does the Torah depict it this way? And the Rebbe quotes a Medrash in Shmos Rabbah on the Pasuk in Tehillim that we say every morning in Davin. Magid varav liyakov, chukov mishpatov liyisrael. Magid dvarav liyakov, he says his words, his dibur to Yaakov. And chukov mishpatov, his chukim and mishpatim, he delivers to whom? Liyisrael. What is dvarav and what are chukov mishpatov? Says the Medrash Shmos Rabbah. Dvarav sounds like, what is Dibur? Aseres? Hadibros. So Magid Dvarav Yaakov, Elu Aseres Hadibros. Chukov Mishpatov, Yisrael, Elu HaMishpatim. When we say that Pasuk every morning in Davening, Pesuket de Zimra, we should have in mind from now on, that's last week's Pasha and this week's Pasha. Magid Dvarav Yaakov, he says his Dvarav, he says his Dibur Aseres Hadvarim, Aseres Hadibros, Torah calls it Aseres Hadvarim. When it changed to Aseres Hadibros, I don't know. Right, we all universally call them Aseris Hadibros. But if you look in last week's Pasha, delivers Aseris Hadvarim. I don't know when it changed. But anyway, the measure says, Magid Dvarav is Aseris Hadibros. Chukavu Mishpatav is Eila HaMishpatim. So notice, says the Rebbe, Islam Rebbe, that Mishpatim were given to Yisrael, which is a higher level than Yaakov. Dvarav, the Aseris Hadibros, were only given to Yaakov. So what's higher? The Aseris Adibros, the Eilig Aseris Adibros that adorn many Aron Kodesh and Shuls, Parochas. What's greater, the Aseris Adibros or the Mishpatim? And the civil and the criminal law, the seemingly mundane laws of everyday life. So you see, the Mishpatim were given to Israel, which is a higher level than Yaakov. Why? So the Rebbe explains based on a Gemara Shabbos. Gemara Shabbos says, Kodayan Shadon Din Emes Laamito. Any Dayan, a rabbinic judge, who through examination and through research 
and through cross-examination achieves the true justice who, who approaches a din Torah with honesty and with integrity and with the pursuit of truth and discovers truth becomes a partner with Hashem in the creation of the world. What does that mean? So, the Siva Shalom explains that basically when it comes to secular law, the judge sits in court and truly the judge is bound by the Constitution, the judge is bound by precedent and by American law. But the judge is simply using his seichel, he's using his logic, he's using his basic thought process to try to discover the truth. When it comes to Jewish law, what we are to understand is that even a case of criminal or civil or tort conflict that is being adjudicated by a human being, a dayan who brings a humility, a dayan who brings dandin emes la'amito, who with honesty and integrity is pursuing the truth, Hashem will be his shutaf. Hashem is his partner and the Shekhinah is present. You know, a halacha is that a dayan during a din Torah has to have atifas arosh, has to have like a talus over his head, has to wear a hat, something over the head. Dayan is supposed to lower his head with humility. All of this is to reinforce the notion that the dayan, the rabbinic judge, is the conduit for God to adjudicate the truth. The, the dayan should never become arrogant, express hubris, as if they are all-powerful, they are in control. It's really they are a conduit, a medium, for God to communicate the truth. So atifas rushes. why? Whenever there's shechina, when you say the amida, whenever the shechina is present, when Hashem's presence is there, one should feel the weight on them. You need atifas arash. So what the Salaam Rebbe says is, the reason that the mishpatim are inserted in the middle of Mat and Torah is to tell us, Though we don't divide our lives. We have religious law, so you want to know if the chicken is kosher, if you want to know what happens when you find the milk fork in the fleshy dishwasher, if you have a shayla in Hilchas Nida and Hilchas Shabbos, that's when you go to the rabbi. Oh, but now you got in a conflict over you lent your friend money and he didn't repay it. You have a business deal that went sour. You have a case of... Uh, of financial conflict, that, no, that you got to go to our coast, that you're going to go to the secular court, chas v'shalom. It's an iser, according to most, an iser daraisa. It's a biblical prohibition, you're not a Jew who's disputing another Jew, it's not allowed to go to secular court. These laws in Mishpatim that we're about to see, we're not supposed to adjudicate at the hands of a judge reflecting secular law. We have our own system of law. There's a halacha, you must go to Beisden. Unless you think when you go to Beisden, the rabbis are incompetent. No that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a shutaf. The Shekhinah is a partner in that adjudication. The Shekhinah is a partner in that Din Torah and even civil, criminal, tort law is part of the religious, part of the entire religious experience that we turn to the Torah and Halacha and what Hashem has to say in this case. That is His answer. But anyway, the overarching question when you study Mishpatim is, what's it doing here? It interrupts Matan Torah. Either for the reason we said based on Rashi, so that a Jew understands that their mundane life when they leave the religious venue is not in fact mundane. That's where real religiosity, that's where real righteousness and virtue are achieved. Or according to the Islam Rebbe, also to understand that Torah has what to say about financial conflict, criminal, civil law as well, and that a Beisden is the proper address, the Shekhinah is present for that as well. Ve'elah HaMishpatim. That too goes back to Har Sinai. Okay, so Mishpatim begins with the laws of the Eved Ivri. We're all familiar. Kisikna Eved Ivri. I'll just ask you a quick question. I really want to get to our Pesukim. I'll ask you a quick question. Everybody knows this. The slave who is uh, unable to repay the debt from that which he stole, how does he discover the finances to repay the debt? He sells himself into slavery. He serves, the typical term is how long? Six years. At the end of the six years, if he says he wants to stay, what does he do? Pierce the ear. And why do we place his ear on the doorpost and pierce his ear? Because this ear that heard at Arsinai, don't steal, and he went and stole, now we pierce the ear. Asks, ask many of them a question. Let me ask you a question. When is the appropriate time to pierce the ear then? If the reason we pierce the ear is to place a symbol, a public symbol, that he failed to listen, this individual failed to listen to the prohibition to steal, when should we have pierced the ear? In the beginning. When he's found guilty of the crime of stealing. That's when we should pierce the ear, at the beginning of his six years of service. 
Why only at the end of the six years of service? He doesn't know yet. No. So why do we attach piercing the ear with his decision to stay? That's the question. Pierce the ear because he stole. Why are you piercing the ear? Because he's choosing to stay. Now I know your hands are up because the other alternative understanding in the Gemara and the Medrash is Ozim avadim This ear that heard we are to be slaves to God and not to choose to be slaves to man. That's why the ear is pierced. Okay, but I'm not talking about that opinion. I'm talking about the opinion that says we pierce the ear because lo signal the ear don't steal. So when did he? When was he found guilty of stealing? At the beginning of the term. Pierce the ear at the beginning of the term, not the end. Never bothered you before. Yes, Mr. Grossman, what do you think? So that, that, again, connects to the opinion that the reason we pierce the ear is because he's chosen, he's elected to remain a slave. But on the opinion that it's because of the signal of why isn't it at the beginning? So I wanted to suggest once in Russia, a bunch of years ago that we all make mistakes. We have indiscretions. We're human. We're frail. Rebona Shalom created us and Rebona Shalom understands that. What he doesn't understand, what he has less tolerance for is not when we make a mistake but when we embrace the mistake. When we repeat the mistake. When we don't learn from the mistake. The fact that the individual stole and shouldn't have stolen we make mistakes. Who knows what the circumstances were that led him to steal. But that six years later, he wants to remain in that position. He's chosen not to have learned from the experience. He is still embracing the mistake. Then we pierce the ear. That's a very powerful lesson. Of course, we're held accountable for all the errors of judgment. But understands. the Medrash says, the Gemara says, among the list of things that were created before the world... In that list is tshuva. Tshuva was created before the world. What does that mean, tshuva was created before the world? It means that even before God created humanity, He understood humanity would need something called tshuva. Kodesh Baruch Hu never had an expectation that we would be perfect. He built into the fabric of creation the opportunity to repair the mistakes that we were destined to make. Because we're feeble, we're frail. We are made up of a godly soul, but we have the animal instinct as well. So he created tshuva even before having created the world. So he knows we're going to make mistakes. So you don't pierce the ear when you make the mistake. We make mistakes. But six years later, you're celebrating your mistake. You're choosing to embrace your mistake. You're electing to remain in your mistake. You're celebrating. You're showing off. You're recounting and recalling your mistake. Then you're held. Then you're truly held accountable. Okay, so it begins with the Evet Ivri. And then we have the sale of the daughter, murder, the killing of the slave. You can go through the Parsha yourself. Every Pasuk, you could spend hours and hours on every Pasuk, is rich with halachas and rich with moral lessons and so on. You steal livestock, self, uh, the laws of the Shomrim, the Dalit Shomrim, the four types of people who, uh, who guard, the borrower, Yefata, you have the case of uh, seduction and rape, you have uh, the obligation to extend free loans, the prohibition of charging interest to a fellow Jew. Why should it be prohibited to, fa- fa- to charge interest to a Jew? is a time value of money. If I lend you money and I ask you to pay me interest, I'm not actually taking more than I lend you. I'm being repaid the loss of the time value of money. I could have earned interest on that money. I gave you $100 for a year and I could have made in a market, in a money market, zero. But in a, a good investment, in a good investment, let's say I could have made 5%. So at the end of that year, I would have had $105. When I gave you $100 for that year and you give me back $100, I've lost $5. Why should I have to lose the time value of money, the interest I could have made? Is lending with interest immoral? How do you know that lending with interest is not immoral? How do you know? Because you're allowed to lend with interest to a non-Jew. If lending with interest were by definition intrinsically immoral, you wouldn't be allowed to lend with interest to a non-Jew. So why does the Torah say don't lend with interest? It's an incredibly important interpretation. We're they, never going to get to the Pesukim I want to study. Why does it do you? It's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. But why? So that, it's a mitzvah. I have to lose money for the mitzvah? Oh, so the answer is, let me ask you a question. A stranger comes off the street and he says, Goldberg, could you lend me a hundred bucks for the year? I say, sure. But I was going to make 5% on that money. So at the end of the year, you got to give me back $105. That's the only way. Am I a low life? 
No, there's nothing wrong with that. Now let me ask you a question. My younger brother calls me and he says, Ephraim, I'm short a hundred bucks to pay the electric bill. Could you do me a favor? Could you lend me a hundred dollars? I'll guarantee you I'll have it back to you by the end of the year. I said, sure, Judah, but uh, I'll tell you what. Yeah, pay me back 105 dollars. Five percent interest. Am I a low life? Yes. I'm a low life. My brother needs money, and I'm going to charge interest. So why does the Torah prohibit a Jew to charge another Jew interest? Not because it's corrupt, not because it's immoral, because the Torah wants us to view every Jew as my brother. It's my I'm a low life if I charge my family interest. So therefore the Torah says, you're not allowed to charge another Jew interest. Why? So that you understand that all Jews are your family. It's not discriminating against the non-Jew. It's not saying the Jews are superior or elitist or hate non-Jews. What it's trying to say is there's nothing wrong with having a nuclear family. And every Jew is part of the nuclear family and therefore you can't lend with interest. That's it. I, we could, there's different Torah on every single pasuk in Mishpatim. I'm going to try not to get distracted. Okay. Uh, you have to adjudicate with fairness and justice. You have... Oh, Shemitah! This year is a Shemitah year. Why do we have a Shemitah year? I'm not going to get distracted. But you have Shemitah year. You have the Shalash Regolam, conquering the land. And then we get to the end of the parsha, which is what I want to study. Good. Perak Chavdalad, Pasuk, Aleph. You got it? Page 440. 440, Perak of Dalad Pasuk Aof. Chapter 24, verse 1. And here we return to the narrative. The El Moshe Amar, to Moshe God said, Ascend to God, Atav You and Aaron, and the 70 elders, and bow down from a distance. When? When is this talking about? God says, Moshe, come on up. Come on down. But stay at a distance and bow down. When? When is this? Right? Last week's Parsha was Harsinai. Until now, our Parsha has just been this litany of laws. And now at the end we say, God says to Moshe, come climb, come close. When is it? It says Rashi. Parsha Zunamra, Kodem Aseres Adibros. When did this happen? Before Har Sinai. The Torah now is going back, out of order, not only to before the Mishpatim were given, but before Aseris Adibros. This section we're about to read, according to Rashi, goes all the way back to before the Ten Commandments were given. Before Har Sinai. Right, how could Rashi say that? Because Rashi subscribes to the position that the Torah is not written chronologically, but rather the Torah is written thematically. The Torah is written in an order to communicate ideas and themes and lessons, even if it violates the accurate chronology. For Rashi, the theme is more important than the timeline. That's Rashi. But many disagree, including the Ramban, the Ibn Ezra, the Rashbam. You could read them. Which one should we read? Let's read the Ibn Ezra. He's the shortest, most succinct. Says the Ibn Ezra, everything that was mentioned until now, are the conditions that you need to communicate to the Jewish people. After Har Sinai, after Kabbalah Satora, after the Aseris Adibros, God calls Moshe Aaron Adavaviu and the Zakanim back because God wants to communicate something more. This doesn't happen before Har Sinai, but it's in the right place. Ain Mukta Mamuchar Batora. No, the Torah, I'm sorry, Mukta Mamuchar Batora. Yesh Mukta Mamuchar Batora. Torah is written chronologically. It says the Ibn Ezra, the Rashbam says the same thing. And the Ramban says the same thing. It's written in order, and this whole story only happens where it appears, and not and not later. The Orachayim also gets into this discussion. I don't want to take too much time now. You could read the rest of the Mephorshim on your own. Continuing, Pasig Beis. Pasig Beis. V'nigash Moshe levado el Hashem, v'heim lo yigashu, 
V'ya'am lo ya'alu imo. So what should happen? Moshe, Aaron, Nadav, Aviyu, and the 70 elders come close but stay at a distance. So come closer than the rest of the people, but nevertheless somewhat at a distance. And from that smaller group, Moshe is to approach, he and he alone, but the people should not ascend with him. Where is Moshe approaching to? Says Rashi, Vinigash, El Ha'arafel. To the cloud, to the smoke, to the fog, to the fog. To the fog. And what does he do there? Pasagim. Vayavo Moshe vayisaper la'am eskol divrei Hashem ve'iskol ha'mishpatim vayan kol ha'am kol echad vayomru kol ha'dvarim asher diber Hashem na'ase. Moshe comes and he tells the people all the words of Hashem and all the mishpatim and the people answer with one unified voice and they say all of these things that God said na'ase. We will do. When is this? When does Moshe tell them? I thought Moshe was just called to approach the fog, to come to the cloud. What's going on here? What's the order here? So Rashi says, Moshe, Bo This is that same day. And according to Rashi, what day is this? The day before Kabbalah Satorah. As called Hashem. And what is Moshe telling them? Mitzvah's Prishovahagbala. Remember the Shlosha Shemei Agbala for three days prior to receiving the Torah, we are to separate from our wives. Men and women should separate so that they can achieve a level of purity, a level of sanctity, a level of holiness in preparation and anticipation to receive the Torah. What we continue to observe to a certain degree today, mostly by not saying Tachanan, as Shlosha Shemei Agbala, the three days in anticipation. So Rashi is Lashita So. Rashi is consistent. Rashi believes this whole section comes before the Torah is given. So what's Moshe telling the people that day? Get ready. Anticipate. mishpatim. So one second, if the Torah hasn't been given yet, how's Rashi going to explain what are the mishpatim that Moshe is to give? Says Rashi, Sheva mitzvah shenitztavu b'nei noach. There were some mitzvahs that were given even before Harsinai. What were they? Firstly, we were given the seven Noahide laws. The Shabbos, the Kibravaim, Upara Aduma, the Dinam Shnitlahem Bemara. And then when we stopped at Mara, right, when we left Egypt, right, where we complained about the water was bitter, God gave us a few more, a smattering of mitzvahs. Which ones? Shabbos, Kibravaim, and Para Aduma. Why those three? That was for a few weeks ago's Parsha. Why those three? So you had ten laws that were given even before the Torah was given. So Rashi has to explain what are the mishpatim that Moshe gave before the Torah is given. He says it must be those ten. Fine. Not everybody agrees, obviously. If you believe this comes afterwards, so the mishpatim are the mishpatim of now. What's he giving? So for example, the Sforno says, Vayavo Moshe v'yisapir l'am is called Hashem, mitchilas kosomar ad ve'ela ha-mishpatim. He's giving everything that came until now because it's only, it's only afterwards. Okay. The people responded, says the Ibn Ezra, as if they were one. They were unified. They were cohesive. They were one, one people when they said whatever God says, Nasa, we will do. Pasuk Oh, according to Rashi, what's the big deal about Nasa? Good, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Moshe wrote down all the words of Hashem. He woke up in the morning, he built an altar at the base of the mountain. And he built 12 monuments corresponding with the 12 tribes. What did he write down? What did he write? So Rashi says, Vayechtov Moshe, Mibreshis v'admatan Torah, because of mitzvah shenistavu b'mara. He wrote down everything that had happened until then. You understand that means that Moshe wrote down, before he ever, according to Rashi, ascended the mountain to receive the Torah, 
Sefer Bereshis and the first half of Shmos were already written. According to Rashi, Moshe wrote down everything that had happened. Right? Let me correct a misnomer for a moment. Many people mistakenly think that when Moshe climbed the mountain, God gave him the Torah. He gave him the written Torah, the oral Torah. And Moshe means Moshe walked down the mountain with the Arts Gol Chomesh. The Hertz Chomesh, the Arts Gol Chomesh. What's it called? The Chabad, the Gutnik, whatever the Chomesh. Gutnik, I don't know which version Moshe walked down with. But Moshe walked down with the whole Torah. That's, of course, ridiculous. Why is that ridiculous? Why is that ridiculous? Because then Moshe, what would you do if you're Moshe? Let me see what's going to happen next. You start flipping to the end. Moshe, of course, did not write down, nor was it written, what had not yet occurred. It's preposterous. It's absurd. Moshe did not receive a complete Torah. So how do we have the Torah the way we have it? Every time in the Torah it describes that God called Moshe to the Oel Moed, to the tent of the meeting, why did God call him there? Have a cup of coffee? No. God summoned Moshe to the Oel Moed because he said, Moshe, you ready? I want to record what just happened. Take dictation. And Moshe took dictation. And he wrote on little scrolls. This scroll, that scroll, the other scroll, after this event, after the other event, after Chaita Egel, and then building the Mishkan, and the, the Slav, and the uh, Korach, and the Meraglim. After every episode, and after each set of mitzvahs were given, God called Moshe to the Oel Moed, and Moshe sat, God said, I'm dictating, Moshe took dictation. We have the Psuchos and the Stumos, the break that we have in the text, reflects, according to Chazal, when Moshe said, God, give me a minute to digest what you just said when Moshe took a break to think about what God had just said. Then what happens? At the end of Moshe's life, except for the last eight psukim, which were not written by Moshe, according to the Gemara, Basra, but Moshe takes the scrolls that he had written or scribbled the dictation of the Ribbon Olam, and he sews them together to form the first complete Sefer Torah. Now, first of all, you understand why Ein Muktam Amuchar Torah, according to some. Because maybe when he assembled all those scrolls, he chose to sew them together in a different order to communicate a message that was more important than preserving the accuracy of the chronology. But you have to understand that it's a misnomer. We didn't get the Torah like a complete book. God would call Moshe to the Olmoed. He would take dictation. Moshe took breaks, psuchos and stumos. He then sewed it together. And that first Sefer Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, and then Moshe wrote a number of others, but that first one was in the Aron Kodesh. Next to the Luchos, the Shivrei Luchos, and the Mon sat the first Sefer Torah, which became the most authoritative one from which we copied all the others. But that's how the Torah was given. When Moshe went on Har Sinai, he got the concepts of Torah, the laws of Torah. He received Talachal Moshe Misinai, and the Yud Gimel Mido Shator Nidreshes Bohem, and he received Tariq Mitzvahs. But the narrative, the stories, and the way the mitzvahs were communicated to us, that only comes over time with each experience that only comes that only comes later so when did they saw the last eight oh so I had the last eight psukim so Shavuos come Shavuos we'll talk about it maybe <laughs> I don't know Shavuos we'll come to Shavuos or maybe we'll Simchas uh, Torah one or the other but yeah Moshe wrote it with his tears or Yehoshua wrote it there's different opinions what does that mean does that mean that there's a part of Torah which is not Misenai because the last day Pesukim Moshe didn't write? What does it mean to write with your tears? It describes his death. So how could he have written his own death? So that's a, that's a whole separate discussion. So when Rashi here says, Mibreshes v'admatan Torah because of Mitzvah Shnistahab b'mara, you understand that Moshe wrote it down even for Rashi before Harsinai, before the Torah was, was given. What does it mean L'shnei Masrei Shifta Yisrael? So what happens? Moshe on that day tells the people to separate. He builds an altar. He writes down what had happened until then. And he builds at the base of the mountain, Har Sinai, and he builds 12 monuments corresponding with the 12 tribes. Says the Rashbam, Shmo ben Meir, Lehaid Shekulam Nisratsu Bekiyum Habris. Why 12 monuments? To communicate that everyone universally, unanimously, all agreed to the covenant. All entered the covenant, the commitment. All twelve. 
So what? What do you mean didn't get it? Twelve tribes, twelve monuments. Yeah, for the but for the purpose of this, Levi is a tribe. They don't inherit in the land, but I assume for the purpose of this, they are. So it communicates that all twelve tribes were committed to the covenant, and somehow that the Torah preserves the diversity of the Jewish people. In other words, receiving the Torah does not require one to lose their uniqueness, to lose their individuality, to fold their tribal connection. Right? So at this moment of Kabbalah Satorah, you have the speaking with one voice. On the one hand, you have Vayan Kola'am, Vayan in the singular. On the one hand, you have, as the Ibn Ezra had said, Ishachad. They speak with one voice, but they preserve their diversity. Or put differently, valuing diversity, celebrating unity. Pasakem. Vayishlachas na'arei b'nei Yisrael vayalu olos vayizbechuz vachim shlamin l'ashem parim. And he sent, who see Moshe, sent na'arei, the young, the lads of the Jewish people, and they brought korbanos, and vayizbechuz vachim shlamin, they brought shlamin to Hashem from the parim. Who are these na'arei? Moshe sent these Na'are, these lads. Who are the Na'are? Says Rashi, always the first place to check, HaBechoros, the firstborn. Why does Rashi say it's the Bechoros? Who should be bringing the sacrifices at this point? Who are the Kohanim at this point? No, the Bechorim, the firstborn. Look at the Sif Sechacham in the super commentary on Rashi. Lefisha avoda haisa bebechoros at shehukam amishkam v'yaf apisha l'avim nivcharu bechayta egel d'lo karei. The chayta egel had not yet occurred. So who were distinguished with the purpose? Who were given the task of being the sacrifices of being the priests? The firstborn. They only lost that distinction with chayta egel and it was given to Levi. So at this point. When it says the Nare, the young, it's referring to the firstborn, which begs the question. What question? Why do you call the firstborn the young? Why are the firstborn called Nare, Narim? Says the Rabban, Hema Bechorus Kedivre Yonkulus, Kiema Malem Haolos Vashlomim. Why give a nickname to the firstborn, the young lads? So maybe the answer is to contrast the elders. Torah had said that Moshe, Aaron, Adav, Aviyu, and the seventy elders, and in contrast to the elders, the firstborn are young. So that you know that the Zakanim achieved that distinction because of their wisdom. The Bechorim achieved that distinction not because of any wisdom, but simply birth order. They the, have the good fortune, they won the lottery of being born first. The Ramban then offers his own interpretation, unlike Uncleus, and says, the Na'are here is not the Bechorim. It's not the Bechoros. Who are the Na'are? It means the young lads who've never been with a woman. They, re- they retain their sense of purity, of sanctity, of holiness. They are still righteous young men, untainted, unsullied by a world of desire, temptation, distraction. And because they still have this sense of purity, they have the distinction of bringing these sacrifices on the day of the giving of the Torah. That's the... Now, what does the Chizkuni say? For chinuch. Oh, na'arei, because you're being mechanich them to bring korbanos for service. Okay, good. So we have the uh, unklos, Rashi, that it's the Bechoros. You have the Chizkune, and you have the Ramban, that it refers to young lads who are unmarried, who've never been together with a woman.
Okay, continuing. Pasuk Vav. Vayikach Moshe chazi adam vayasem ba'aganos vachazi adam zarak amazbeach. So whichever group it was, these young men sacrifice the animals. And then Moshe takes half the blood and he puts it in a kli, in a vessel. And the other half the blood, he throws on the altar. And now he takes the book, the scroll that he had written, that captured from Sefer Bereshah's Baraz, from the beginning God created the world until that moment, Har Sinai. And he takes that book and he reads it to the people. The people had experienced the Exodus. But they weren't there for the creation of the world and Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov and the stories of Bereshus. So he takes all those stories, he reads it to the people, Vayomru, and this is when they respond, Kol Asher Diber Hashem, everything God says, Nase Vinishma. Those immortal words. We will do and we will listen. Says Rashi, what did he read them? Say for Abris? He read this scroll he had just written that contained the history of this people and their laws until then. Until then. He reads it. The Pasuk goes out of its way to say, where does he read it? Where else would you read it? Up their nose? In their mouth? Why Ba'aznei? Why Ba'aznei Ha'am? Yeah. But why Bosnia? Yeah, it says in Hakel to read it to the people. But why why Bosnia? What? So the Sforno says, Sheyedu Mahe Mekablim Aleim Shelo Yu Kimutoyim. So they would know what they're accepting upon themselves. By reading all that earlier, he's giving at least the background, the backdrop, so they would know what they're committing to. Why Bosnay? I don't know. I didn't see anyone talk about it. Maybe you have a good suggestion. Why Bosnay? So what is their response? Nase Vinishma. We will do and we will listen. What does that mean we will do and we will listen? Says the Svarno, Nase Vinishma, Nase Latachlis, Shinishma Bekolo Kaavadam, Amisham Shemisarav, Shalom Derek Lakaba Pras, Kenyan Osei Dvar Lishma Bekol Dvaro, Nase Latachlis, Shinishma Bekolo. We will do for the goal of listening, meaning we're not trying, we will not do so that we will be rewarded, we will do because we're listening. An interesting shout out to Svarno. Nasev Vinishma. We will do because we're listening to you. Meaning, the whole reason we're doing it is because we're listening to you. Not we're doing it because we want a Geshmak Chelik in Olam Haba. Not because we want great reward in this world. Why are we doing it? Nasev, we will do it because Nishma is simply because we want to listen to you. That's why. That's the Svarno. The Rashbam. Nasa refers to what you tell us right now. Nishma means in the future, says the Rashba. We'll do whatever you want me to do right now. And not only am I pledging to do what you ask me to do right now, I'm telling you that whatever you will ask me to do in the future, I'll do that too. Right? So the Shvorno says, Nasa, because Nishma. We'll do because I'm ready to listen to whatever you say. As opposed to, I'll do because I want reward. The Rashbam says, Nasa means I'll do right now. Nishma means, and I'm ready to listen. Whatever you tell me to do in the future, I will do that as well. Let me ask you a question. Once you say Nasa, it's not my question, it's a question of the Maharsha and Gemara and Shabbos. Gemara and Shabbos says that that day, 600,000 angels descended and they placed two crowns on top of the Jewish people's heads, one for Nasa, one for Nishma. Then Chet Eagle, they came back and they took back their crowns. But they placed two crowns on their heads that day, one for Nasa, one for Nishma. Asks the Maharsha, how many crowns should they have placed on the Jewish people's head? Two? One for Nasa, one for Nishma? No, one. Why? What was the Chiddush? What was the amazing thing that the Jewish people did? That they put Nasa before Nishma. But the fact that they said Nishma, is that impressive? No. In other words, if I say to you, I say, Phil, I need you to do me a favor. So if you say, tell me what's the favor, and then I'll choose whether to do it, so okay, that's one type of friend. But if Phil says, 
Sure, Rabbi, whatever you need, I'm in. Now tell me, what is it you need? So I said, ooh, you deserve to be honored because not only did you say you'll do it, but then you said you want to know what it is. And I said, if you're willing to do it, of course you have to know what it is. What's the big thing about saying Nishma? Once you say Nasa, you need to know Nishma, you need to know, tell me what to do. So I asked the Marsha, the Chiddush should be one crown. You put Nasa before Nishma. Most people would say, you need a favor, tell me the favor and I'll let you know whether I can do it. The fact that you said, I'm in, I'll do the favor. Okay, what is it? Tell me exactly what you need. It's not a big deal that you said, tell me what you need. There should be one crown for putting Nasa before Nishma. Why is there a second crown for Nishma? Oh, so says the Marsha. Why two crowns? Because Nishma doesn't mean, tell me what to do. Nishma doesn't mean, I just want to know what to do. Nishma means, I want to understand. I want to study. I want to appreciate. See, Phil can say to me, I can say, Phil, I need a favor. He says, sure, Rabbi, whatever it is, I'm ready to do it. Just tell me the favor. And then I tell him the favor. But he could also, after I tell him the favor, say, Rabbi, tell me, why is it you want that? Why do you need that? Why are we doing it that way? Help me understand. I want to be part of this. That's the Mila. The Mila is, they weren't just robots. They weren't just willing to actualize whatever it is God said as if blindly going through motions by rote. The Nasa, the Nishma, after the Nasa, Nishma means, I want to understand. I want to understand. That's what the word Shema really means. Shema Yisrael. Shema means not just to hear. We mistranslated. It. it means to understand. Understand, O Israel. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. When we say the halacha Shomea Ka'ona, if you say a bracha and I listen, it's as if I said the bracha, the halacha is Shomea Ka'ona is only if I understand the bracha. If I don't understand, I can't be Yotze. The word Shomea means to understand, not just to hear. So when they said Nasa Venishma, the Nishma meant beyond just tell me what to do, it meant I want to understand. Just hold your questions because we're going to run out of time. I want to get through a few more Pesukim. Uh huh. So they were prepared to do because they. Okay, good. The Kliakar. Kliakar also says here. Kliakar is a little bit uh, astounding. Lo They did not answer Nasa Venishma immediately. What's bothering the Kliyakar? According to Rashi, this Nasa Venishma came before Kabbalah's Torah. So that's beautiful. Moshe says, look, God's about to give us some monumental mitzvahs. God's about to transform our lives. And the people said, bring it on. Whatever he tells us to do, we'll do. So that's incredible. But according to Ibn Ezra, the Ambad, the Rashbam, and others, those that the Kliyakar calls the Chachmei Sfarad, that tradition, when did this all occur? It came right now. After Moshe comes down, after the Torah is given, after, after uh, Aserah Sadibros. So that means they didn't say Nasa Venishma right away. Ooh, there goes everything we always believed. <laughs> right, we always thought Nasa Venishma. God said, uh, given the nations the Torah, they all said no. He came to the Jewish people, they said Nasa Venishma. Good, come, Aserah Sadibros, Shavuos, let's have cheesecake. Right, that's what we always assume. But according to the according to the Kliyakar, the Kliyakar is not according to the Kliyakar. The Kliyakar is just pointing out that according to the Chachmei Svarad, we didn't say Nasa Venishma right away. We got uh, Kabbalah Satora, the three days of preparation, we stood at the mountain, God started to speak, we couldn't take it, Moshe took over, Aserah Sadibros, and we departed from the mountain. And then when Moshe came and continued to communicate, then we said Nasa Venishma. Why did we wait? Right? It's not as romantic of the Jewish people. I hate to break it to you. We like to accept Rashi's version better. That this all happened before Matan Torah, Nazav Nishma, Shalom Yisrael. So the Kliyakar says, why'd they wait? If it didn't happen immediately, what does it mean it didn't happen until now? So the Kliyakar offers a very innovative pshat. Says the Kliyakar. They thought that the Asaris of Dibros was everything. Good. Ten command, we can pretty much handle this. Don't murder, don't steal. I accept God. No adultery. Okay, don't covet hard. Honor your parents. Shabbos, yeah, we could do this. 
ויוסם בארגנוס וחצי אדם זרק על המזבח אז אלה במחשבה שמחצי השני להיכן ייתן So now Matan Torah is over It's after Matan Torah according to this interpretation They see Moshe Rabbeinu has the Na'arim whether they're the firstborn or the young lads or for the sacrifices Moshe takes half of the blood collects it in a vessel, in a basin and the other half sprinkles on the Mizbeach and they say to themselves, one second what's the other half for? So when they saw Moshe only use half the blood, they said to themselves, why is he saving the other half the blood? There's more mitzvahs to come. And as he gives the mitzvahs, he'll continue to sprinkle the blood on the altar. And that's when they reacted and said, if there's more mitzvahs to come, regarding those more mitzvahs, not yet here, nasa v'nishma. And that's why they say it here. Moshe heven machshavasam. Moshe understood. V'amar, attempt to him, you're making a mistake. Ki chiluk adamu k'de lizro chatzi hashem yalaam. The second half of the blood, we're going to see in a moment, was to sprinkle on the people. V'amar, sh'ayidei kabbalas ha-tori yu la'achadim bi'ava v'chiba im Hashem yisbarach. This is the blood covenant. You're entering with God. So the Kliyakar explains that if you subscribe to the opinion that the Torah is written chronologically, and it's only after Kabbalah the Torah that you have this whole story, then it means Nasa Vinishma was not said in last week's Parsha Yisrael. It's only after the fact. And why did they say it? There goes the whole romantic notion, because they thought that only half the Torah was given that far. So they wanted to say to Moshe, we're ready for the rest. Nasa Vinishma, whatever you give us about the rest, we'll do it. And to which Moshe responds, no, you don't get it. So rather than celebrate the Nasa Vinishma, Moshe says, no, you don't get it. The other half of the blood is not because the rest of the mitzvahs weren't given yet. The other half of the blood is because I'm about to sprinkle it on you. And that's what happens. Vayal. Sorry, Pazachas. Vayikach Moshe es Hadam. Moshe takes the blood, Vayizrokalaam, and he sprinkles it on the people. Vayomer, he says, Yineidama brisa shakras Hashem imachem, akola dvarim ha'ilah. This is the blood of the covenant that you have convened, God has convened with you, has entered with you, on all of these things. It's a little gruesome, we don't usually think about this. But in antiquity, two kings would enter a uh, covenant, they would uh, prick themselves till they were bleeding, and they would touch the blood to one another. In antiquity, the notion of blood was the ultimate expression of commitment, of pledge, of covenant. So that's why Moshe sprinkles the blood on the people to describe their covenant with the Almighty. And now Moshe, Aaron, Adav, Aviv, the 70 elders go up after this episode. And they see God. And what is under God's legs, His feet? At God's feet is the likeness of sapphire brickwork. And it was the essence of heaven in purity. But these great men, God did not send His hand. And at that moment they saw God and they ate and they drank. What's going on over here? Again, according to Rashi, this is all before Har Sinai. This is in anticipation of Har Sinai. According to the Ibn Ezra and Ban Rashbam, this is all after Har Sinai. Moshe Aaron, Adav Avil, the Zikna Yisrael, see God. They see this vision of God. What do they see? That God's feet is some sapphire brickwork. God does not kill them. They eat and they drink. What in the world is going on? So says Rashi, Vayiru Esel Okei Yisrael. What does it mean to see God? Nistaklu v'itzitzu v'nischayvu misa. They peered at God and really they should have been put to death. You're not supposed to look at God. You're not allowed to. Ela shalorotza kodesh boruchu la'arvev simcha satera. Vehimtim lanadu v'aviyu ad yom chanukah sanishkan v'zkeinim ad v'yicha amisonanim v'ativar ba'am esesh Hashem v'tochal b'kteya machanah. So God does hold them accountable, not Moshe, chas v'shalom, because Moshe and Aaron did not look, but Nadav Aviyu and the Zikanim ultimately pay the price and die, but God didn't want to fashter the Simcha of Matan Torah by killing them then, so He waits till later a subsequent, uh, a subsequent mistake they make, and He kills them then. But according to Rashi, 
they're looking at, they're gazing at, they're peering at God. It's a mistake. Person's not allowed to see God and live. And indeed, they die as a result. Not right then. That's why the Pasuk says, Lo shalach yado. He didn't kill him right then. But later, they die. Why, when they look, do they see sapphire brickwork? What does that mean? Rashi says, He haisa lefana b'shas ha-shibud. What it means they saw the brickwork at God's feet is that God, the whole time the Jews were in Egypt, God felt the pain of the people who were building bricks at that, who were building bricks at that time. And Rashi continues, what does it mean? They were looking at God, they ate and they drank. So Rashi, again, so Rashi consistent that this was a mistake on their part. They shouldn't have been looking. Rashi says, gas. They were gazing at God arrogantly. You have the opportunity for the greatest revelation. You climb the mountain. You're looking at God and you're munching on a Snickers bar. You're eating a bag of potato chips. You're sipping on a cup of coffee. What are you doing? Says Rashi, that's the height of arrogance. And they're therefore held accountable for it. There's a fundamental disagreement between Rashi and the other commentaries. The Ramban, the Kliyakar. Look at the Ramban, for example. The Svarno. They all say no. They were invited to look at God. There was nothing wrong with looking. That's why God didn't punish them, because they were the exception. Normally you're not allowed to gaze at God and live. They're the exception. And the eating and drinking is not considered arrogant. It's celebratory. It's how we're supposed to react after we experience revelation. For example, look at the Sforno. It was a simcha on what they perceived. And therefore they celebrated it. Or the Ramban. They're eating that korban, the shlomim that had been offered. Whenever you have a Kabbalah Satora, says the Ramban, there's a Simcha. Shavuot celebrates Kabbalah Satora, and that has to be a Yom that everybody agrees is Chatzil Lachem. Everybody agrees you have to have festivity on Shavuot. Why? Whenever you have a Simcha's Torah, you have to be festive. So you have here a fundamental debate between Rashi, who says what they did was wrong and they're held accountable, and everyone else, the Sforna, the Ramban, the Ibn Ezra, everyone else who says no, they returned from this revelation, so overflowing with joy, they ate of the meat that had been sacrificed, the Shlomim, and there was nothing wrong with this. So this is a fundamental, fundamental section with an important debate. Did this all happen before the Torah was given? Did it happen after? Was Nasa and Venishma said earlier or only said or only said later? Which is going to change how you understand and appreciate the whole concept of Nasa Venishma. I'll leave you with one other question. I really wanted to get to this more at length, but I'll leave you with one other question. And maybe we'll start with it next year. The next Pasuk. Vayom Rashem Moshe Alei Elai Hahara Sham. Again, the Ramban and Rashi are each going to have to explain when this happens chronologically. God turns to Moshe and he says, Alei Elai Hahara. Ascend towards me on the mountain, Vehayesham, and be there. And I'll give you the tablets and the Torah and the mitzvah that I've written for you to teach. What do the words mean? Ascend to me to the mountain, Vehayesham. What does it mean, Vehayesham? Where else is it going to be? If I tell you, do me a favor, come over to my house for lunch and be there with me for lunch. You say, what's the matter with this guy? If I'm coming over to you for lunch, of course I'm with you for lunch. Climb on top of the mountain, ve'yesham, and be there. So Rashi says, what does ve'yesham mean? Arboim yom, pack a bag. When I want you to climb up to the mountain, this is not going to be quick, 40 days. I want you to spend 40 days with me. But I want to upshot, so important for our generation more than any other. What does Ve'yesham mean? There's something psychologists, sociologists have coined a new phrase in our generation called absent presence. You know what absent presence is? When you see a mom or dad at the park pushing their kid on the swing but talking on their cell phone, they think they're spending time with their child but they're not really there. 
When you see a couple at dinner at a restaurant, they think they're having date night, but they're both texting under the table. They think they're spending time, but they're not really there. When you see people in davening, but they're really on the phone, they're not really there. Absent presence is when you're physically present, but you're actually absent. Absent presence. God turns to Moshe and he says, Moshe, two to three million people depend on you. I can't even begin to imagine how many emails and text messages you have to respond to, how many phone calls are waiting for you, how many meetings have been asked for from you, the weight on your shoulders, how busy and clogged your mind must be of tasks and obligations. I can't begin to imagine. But God says to Moshe, Alei hahara. I want to spend time with you. But ve'yesham. If you're going to be with me, then be with me. Turn off the phone. Disconnect to connect. There's an amazing video that was made a bunch of years ago by Charlie Harari. Google the words disconnect to connect and you'll watch the most incredible video. That is one of my favorite Divrei Torah. That's what God's saying. It's what He says to us every time we walk into shul. It's what He's encouraging of us every time we go out on a date with our spouse or spend time with our children. Ascend the mountain but ve'yesham. If you're going to be there, don't be absent present be fully present if you really want to get something out of it. Have a fantastic day.